Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. My name is Alex Wilhelm and I'm joined today by one of the biggest equity teams we've ever had on the show. But first up, we do have Natasha here. Natasha, say hi. Hey, hey, how are you, Alex? I, I survived Disrupt and unlike most years in the past, I'm not going to get violently sick now that I'm done with it. So it's an upgrade. Uh, Marianne, <laughs> this was your first Disrupt as part of the TC team. In 15 seconds, tell us how much fun you had and why it was the most you've ever had. I was just blown away like by the quality of the sessions, the panelists, the speakers, everything. It was amazing. And the technology platform didn't crash. Shout out Hoppin. But with us today is a special guest, one of my favorite people on the face of the planet, someone who has not been on the show, someone who you may not know, but is very much a key and vital part of TC and Disrupt. It's Nisha Tombe. Nisha, hi. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So Nisha, for folks who don't know quickly, what is Battlefield? And how long have we been doing this? We've been doing it for over a decade now. Startup Battlefield is TechCrunch's early stage startup launch competitions. The companies come on stage at Disrupt, a variety of our events, pitch for six minutes, and then answer some judge questions. And how many startups were there at Disrupt this year? How many finalists? Give people a skill for like applications and the, the funnel, if you will. This is actually the most competitive batch of Startup Battlefield we've ever had, which is a lot of work for me, but very exciting in general. Um, so because I read every single application that we get, we selected 18 companies from the application batch. And then we had two companies that we pulled from Startup Alley. So the show floor at our conference to join on. So we had 20 companies total. And then they pitched on Tuesday and Wednesday. We picked five companies from that batch to pitch in the finals that took place yesterday. So uh, the three of us have been podcasting and writing and not paying attention to the number of apps we had. How many companies actually applied to be part of this cohort? We had over a thousand. Actually, I think it was over 1100 companies apply this Jeez. time around. Well, I, I also feel like you're being humble. I mean, you are the person that makes Battlefield work and run and actually do a great <laughs> thing every year. I, I feel like this is this program wouldn't be okay without you. It wouldn't happen without you. So it, good job on your really successful run. Thanks. It's definitely a team effort. I mean, the applications get reviewed through five rounds. So it's myself, um, Kathleen Hamrick on my team and a couple other folks. And then it, it ends up, ends with our big boss, Matthew Panzerino, who uh, <laughs> he and I sit down for a few hours and, and hash <laughs> through all the companies. It's, it's a lot of bonding. It's, it's two weeks <laughs> of some serious bonding time. <laughs> Hopefully you get some of this pizza along with it. <laughs> uh, for folks who don't know, this goes back a really long time. Nisha, I think it goes back even to like the TechCrunch 50 days before Disrupt was called Disrupt. We've been having this competition forever and some past winners that we'll get to later on. But like, you know, Yammer, for example, did pretty well and so forth. Uh, and Nisha, quickly, uh, what's the prize if you win? Aside from us patting you on the head and writing a blog post about you, what do startups get? For winning. They get my love and admiration. No, they already have that. Um, <laughs> they get $100,000 in prize money, and that is actually equity free. So TechCrunch does not um, charge for applications or for our two-month training process that we do with the teams or for the prize money that they get on stage. So they get $100,000 in equity free prize money, which is pretty great. That's amazing. I'm always amazed that, that we still do that because I would like $100,000. And when I ask for a raise, <laughs> I'm told we don't have any more money. And yet... <laughs> And yet, there's so much the companies. <laughs> All right. So there are five finalists. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through each of the finalists before we talk about the kind of uh, the finals selection process a little bit later on. And Natasha, you're going to kick us off with Selino. So tell us about this company. So it's always funny that I'm the one that's covering like a very STEM heavy startup. But this one did a really great job in humanizing what it does. 
during their pitch. So they want to democratize cell therapy. Basically, think about how producing stem cells right now is this really archaic, human-centric process with like a highly skilled scientist at a bench. And Selena wants to create a automated R&D system that helps extract more cells better using lasers and machine learning. And hopefully I'm not butchering it, but that's the crux of their entire business. And it's amazing that they're doing that. Nisha, do you want to do you want to layer on top of that for us? Yeah, I mean, actually, Natasha hit it on the head, but (laughs) um, one of the challenges with stem cell therapies is that it is very human intensive, but it's also very capital intensive. Treatments can cost upwards of, you know, $500,000 a dose. So this is actually making it something that has broad applications for many kinds of people, not just specific demographics. One other bit from their presentation that stood out is a lot of the current yield for the extraction process of cells is about 10 to 20 percent of good cells, they want to bring up that success rate to 80%. Wow. So that's a huge mission and goal there. But eventually, I'm sure like that's a hard thing for clinics or scientists to disagree with if they can pull it off. We have to move on to the next one. But before you do, Nisha, what does this unlock? Like if if Salino's vision works out, aside from things getting cheaper, what what does that mean for me, the regular person? Does this mean I can live longer, live better, uh, grow wings? Like what does this actually do for me? Not quite grow wings, but it does mean that if, and God forbid anything does happen to you, but if something did happen to you, say Alzheimer's or a skin condition or something like that, you would get targeted therapeutics based off of your own stem cells at an affordable price. I know I look like I'm 75, but I am not quite yet at risk for Alzheimer's. He's just like, Um, it's definitely those two. Yeah, Nish is like, well, if you break your hip or if you have Alzheimer's, Alex, yeah. Okay, we're going to move on to a company that I'm going to try to pronounce because I forget. It's Adventure, I believe, but they've removed a number of the letters. It's a little bit of a throwback to Web 2.0, and we're going to stick to Natasha, who's going to tell us all about it. So they're built around being a smart media platform that makes videos a lot more interactive. So think one example is you want to learn piano with John Legend and he's going to test you on the keys. If you get them wrong, you'll hear back from him immediately saying, actually, that was wrong. Do this instead. Obviously, it's being used in e-commerce websites as well to help people have a more guided shopping experience. I was really interested in it, especially because the founder himself both was roommates with John Legend and his cousins with Kanye. So has a really probably deep expertise and experience working in the entertainment turned money industry. (laughs) He's actually a uh, Grammy award winning producer himself. I mean, it's pretty cool to see like him go into the startup world. I, I feel like he's been building this company since 2013, 2014. And so I feel like they probably have like entered a new level of growth now that they're on the battlefield stage. But that demo really stood out to me. Marianne, what did you what did you like notice about the pitch? I mean, the interactive aspect was just I've never seen anything quite like that. You know, it reminded me of like playing an RPG video game when you get like a number of options. You can kind of pick between them. So I think for like the the kids these days who grew up playing more video games than past generations, probably they expect videos to be more interactive than they currently are because, you know, video game cut screens have cut scenes, I should say, have become much more interactive anyway. So people expect to be able to have a say. I think it's really, really cool. And it's spelled A-D-V-E-N-T-R, I think. Yes, exactly. And for people who are listening who maybe still don't know exactly what it does, I thought the founder did a great job explaining it. It's like a Vimeo meets Twilio. 
in terms of what kind of technology and platform that it has. So take that with what you will. <laughs> all right, we're going to move on to third finalist, which is Koa. Marianne, this was one of my favorites. So tell us all about what it does and where it's focused. They started in Kenya. This statistic I found fascinating. They found that $80 billion are currently being saved across Africa, not just Kenya, under the mattress. So people are not really saving money formally. And so the COA is out to help them actually save digitally. They've created this process where people can onboard in two minutes, entirely digital onboarding process, which is incredible. And already they have, let's see, 6,000 users, $50,000 in deposits. And one of the things I think that's really interesting about what they're gonna do is not just their own digital banking app, but they see a lot of promise in offering embedded finance and banking as a service tools that can help other startups launch fintech products. So I think there's a lot of implications there and that's that's really cool. Yeah, Nisha, how many financial startups were part of the 1100 applications that were focused on kind of like bringing more fintech products to underserved populations globally? I, just, I would say it's the, it was the third most, third or fourth most represented category in the application batch. There are a lot of people trying to solve this problem. So it's definitely a critical need and not just in sub-Saharan Africa, but also across Latin America, Middle East and other markets. I mean, I mean, hell, I mean, speaking about financial literacy and savings rates, this applies also very much in our backyard. I mean, like here in the United States as well. This is not a, it's not a not issue here, though it is more of an exacerbated issue in other markets. And COA, by the way, is spelled K-O-A if you want to look it up. And now we're going to move on to nth cycle as an NTH cycle. This is, this one really blew me away. This was, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be biased, but I thought the pitch was fantastic. And essentially the, the idea is in the mining process, there are tailings, which are kind of the leftovers and in cycles, technology can extract economically useful metals from those. And you can also take kind of battery recycling uh, results and put those into the system and again, extract elements out of it. So my view is that in cycles tech, if it works out, will reduce the need to mine to some degree, possibly reducing our carbon footprint and generally making the, the high tech world of products a bit more eco-friendly. Nisha, close, close, close enough. Close. Um, that's half of what they do. The other half, in addition to mining is lithium batteries. So all EV vehicles that you see on the road or most have lithium batteries that they use, but there's actually no end of life system or processing that is really readily available right now. Everything goes through China. So what they do is they take these batteries that have been shredded and put it through that same process that they do for the mining companies. And by the end of it, they have nearly manufacturing grade ready uh, metals and minerals at the end of the process, creating a closed loop, closed loop system. And the goal is not to replace the current generation of, of battery recycling companies. It's to kind of work with them to some degree. Exactly. They're adding on to it to make that end product more usable and, and something that could actually fit back into the circle. And I feel like that's it's refreshing to see them wanting to complement instead of directly compete, because I don't think it takes away from the ambition at all. It just to me seems like it's a, a more realistic way to try and disrupt and innovate in a category as highly regulated as batteries. I mean, you can't just come from the outside and, and immediately try and like turn everything over. <laughs> and really briefly, one thing they do is they bring their equipment to um, mining facilities, for example, because you can't really take like tailings, put them in an enormous truck, drive them to Wyoming or whatever, where there's a facility to process them because it's expensive, it's carbon intensive. So they're low you know, square foot footprint allows them to bring this to places where recycling tech may not be possible. So I, I think it's really, really cool. I'm all for making the environment better. 
And speaking of making the environment better, guys, nothing is better for the environment than Bitcoin mining. Oh, God. And <laughs> the, large, the larger world of crypto. That was my attempt at a segue into our last finalist, a company called Tatum, which provides an API hook into a number of blockchains. I think by now, the crypto economy is not going anywhere, and we all kind of agree on that. But one thing that has happened is there's now more blockchains than ever. And so if you want to have your company be able to plug into one or five or seven or 20 of them, it's pretty tough. And so here we have akin to Twilio, a simple API that lets you plug into a very complex system. Tatum claims to have about 10,000 developers on its platform, over 900 products, and claiming 25% month-on-month revenue growth. A lot of its customers are kind of in the NFT space, which is, frankly, I think the current most active, neat use case of the crypto world. And I thought Tatum was pretty cool. CEO is uh, named Jiri, and I love API-delivered companies. So that is the, oh, Nisha, please. They also are from the Czech Republic, which I think is uh, really cool. I think they might be our first company um, from there. So it's nice to see that kind of global representation too. What a beautiful way to talk us into how these companies were picked. Because one thing we were talking about before we brought you on, Nisha, was just how international this cohort felt in a really great way. It felt like there were more companies, sorry, more countries represented than ever before. Yeah, so the battlefield application process is uh, simple, but also not. Companies apply in through our website. Some companies are referred, but they still have to go through the same application process. There's about five rounds that every application will go through, or four four for each application and five for the finalists. Um, We don't actually do any kind of demographic analysis through the process. Uh, we focus on bringing in, you know, different kinds of founders at the top of funnel, but we don't look at any of that until the end. And we are happily surprised when we reach that point. It's something that TechCrunch does care really deeply about and making sure that we're representing tech from all different kinds of demographics, all different kinds of countries. But, you know, we are really interested in featuring the best tech. And so we exclusively focus on product and then kind of do a check-in at the end and are typically pleasantly surprised by what we find. So do you have any of those numbers off the top of your head? Like how many founders were from underrepresented groups? How many different countries? I would love to know kind of whatever you have about uh, this batch of 20. Yeah. So we have, uh, let's see, only one company had their headquarters in the Bay Area. Over 50% are international, so not U.S.-based. And then from a diversity perspective, I mean, I would recommend anyone listening also take a peek at the pitches themselves. But we have a pretty diverse representation of founders. And, and again, that that comes from top of funnel. It's not really something we particularly aim for. It's just something that happens at the end of cycle. You know, obviously, we've seen Y Combinator, another accelerator and startup launch program, if you will, increase their batches over time for a variety of reasons. For Startup Battlefield, have you felt any pressure to increase the amount of startups we have on stage or the amount of, yeah, the amount that are accepted in the first place? No. <laughs> short, short answer is, is no. We spend a lot of time with each of the companies that we select. We do private trainings with them for hours on end. They put in a lot of work, but it really is catered to every company. And to a certain degree, that just can't necessarily scale to hundreds of companies. Being able to provide that really personalized instruction and guidance. Now, before we get into some stuff about the past and so forth, I want to talk about the winner and the runner up. So uh, Nisha, giving you the honors, because this really is your baby, who won this year's Disrupt Battlefield? This year, our winner was Selena. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> 
That's the enthusiasm the yeah. equity team brings. I was in charge of paying attention to their pitch, so I will take ownership up for nothing. They killed it. They, they, they're amazing. <laughs> and Anisha, why do you think Celino managed to pull ahead of the other four? One of the really great things about Celino was its ability to bring down the cost of these therapeutics to populations. And now TechCrunch Startup Battlefield is an early stage startup competition. So there is a bit of a gamble involved when we are picking these companies and, and selecting the winner. But their their core objective, I think, is something that really sat well with our judges. Okay. And then Marianne, if you can do the honors, announcing the runner-up. Nth cycle. Which was my favorite because I understood it the most because I want to buy an electric car, but I also don't want to poison the planet and have some lithium mine kill a child. So I was I was pretty hyped about nth cycle. Marianne, why do you think that one stood out to the judges if you were to take a take a guess? Uh, I think it's just really unique with my limited perspective and the ability to recycle these products in this way is just fascinating and all the different use cases with the what what they're able to extract. And I'll add, I think both the winner and the runner up like were exceptional storytellers. And I think at the early stage, mm -hmm. that's so much of it. I know like they both have insane businesses and a lot of vision that's amazing, but I, I feel like the way they pitched and answered those questions really stood out. Yeah, I was very impressed. In fact, after the nth cycles pitch, I think every single judge that asked a question was like, by the way, great pitch, super clear, loved it. Right. And I, I was like, dang, you know, I've never seen that many compliments in a row about a particular pitch, which I guess really means we're complimenting Nisha yet again, <laughs> given that she had a hand in that. Megan is a PhD, the the CEO of uh, Cycle, so she's actually defended her dissertation. She's she's pretty used to these kinds of uh, intense questions coming at her. Yeah, I wonder what what's scarier, a PhD dissertation defense or a uh, like a live Zoom in front of everybody and six judges. Like I ugh, both sound kind of hard. I had one quick question about Salino. I know that they raised actually venture capital in the past, like 16 million from Kosla. And I wasn't sure if that at all, like how, how that works when you are in an early stage competition. Like I'm sure you talked about it, Nisha. What, what was your thought process between them winning and also just being in the batch in the first place? They're a wildcard company. So they weren't one of the initial 18 selections. Ah. They were pulled from the show floor and then the judges kind of pushed them up from there. When we are reviewing these companies, early stage doesn't for us just mean the amount of money a company has raised. It means what stage their product is in. And companies like that typically take more funding to just reach an MVP than other companies. So if a, if a SaaS platform had raised $70 million, then we would say, okay, you're a little too late for us. <laughs> right. But you know, we have, we've had companies with a little bit more funding in the space industry when you're inventing rocket fuel and things like okay. that. Yeah, I think also another thing about Salino, and I'm curious if the pandemic and, and all this talk about, you know, medical care and treatments has anything to do with them resonating with the judges and people in general, because I think the idea that these treatments can help with diabetes and Parkinson's is, is just, I think all of that to me just takes on a different meaning than it might have two years ago. Yeah, we're all a bit more aware of our fragility as humans, perhaps. Totally. And so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nisha, can you tell us a little bit about some previous uh, luminaries from the Battlefield thing? Because I've been going to TC events since I think the TechCrunch 40 or 50, and there's been so many over the years I have lost track. So we wouldn't mind a couple of highlights from you. We have had a lot. So you had mentioned Yammer. We have Getaround, Mint.com, Dropbox, um, Verb that sold a Snapchat for hundreds of millions of dollars. I remember 
when Yammer won. I was living in my friend's uh, apartment in Portland, Oregon, and I was drawing on a whiteboard this idea that I had for a product called Internal Twitter. And we were so excited about this. And then Yammer had already built it and they showed it off and they won. And then they sold like 10 minutes later for a billion dollars. And I was like, I was like 17. And I was like, well, fuck this. This is ridiculous. Anyways, it's it's a it's a long time coming back around. But for Winners and Tasha, they do historically have a pretty good track record of raising capital and kind of getting attention and that sort of totally. thing. Totally. I mean, just running through a couple of recent raises, we saw Mutiny get an 18.5 million Series A funding from Sequoia and a bunch of other major CMOs. We saw Legacy get a 20 million raise from Bain. Um, one of my favorite, though, updates is DocSend getting acquired by Dropbox, which was literally a Battlefield company acquiring another Battlefield company. And I feel like that's, oh, that's, I feel so like cool. that's another level of maturity. And it's such a flex. Also, we've had some IPOs. Yext was a really early presenter in the TechCrunch 50 days, I think, and they went public some time ago. And also Cloudflare, um, which IPO'd. I mean, granted, that was a, a little bit ago, but um, they IPO'd as well. Oh, I forgot. Wait, Cloudflare was a Battlefield company? Cloudflare was a Battlefield company. Yeah. Huh. And wow. interestingly enough, uh, they did not win, but I think they got second or third. And, and he likes to remind us of that, being like, uh, I IPO'd, but I didn't necessarily win. <laughs> but we're, we're excited about it. In, in, in our defense, we bring in some judges and let them do their thing. It isn't like we're being proscriptive. We're you know, being <laughs> reactive to a degree. And just before we go, guys, how do we feel? How do we feel being done with Disrupt? Because there's an enormous buildup to this. It's a ton of work. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'm going to sleep for like 12 hours tonight. That's my celebration. But I'm curious what we're doing to, to unwind from a stressy three days. Marianne, what about you? I mean, my brain is much like yours. I don't know. Maybe like wine, walk. Wine, walk. Wine and know. walk at the same yeah. time. <laughs> is that allowed in Texas? I don't know if you're allowed to drink outside. I, I don't know, but I'm going to do it anyway. There you go. Marianne <laughs> is our local outlaw. Uh, Natasha, what are you going to do to I actually to think I'm going to hang out with Nisha and a couple other tech crunchers mm-hmm. in person somewhere what? secret in San Francisco. Oh. We can't tell you. So jealous. <laughs> oh, my God. Really yeah, that actually hurts my soul a little bit. Uh, Nisha, can you um, make sure to like prank Natasha when you guys are all hanging out? Because I can't do it in person because I'm on the wrong coast. Either that or I'll feed her s'mores where we're going. So I'm very excited for that. But I am actually going, I'm actually going, um, after hanging out with all the, the local TC folk, I'm going urchin diving. Like for sea urchins. You yes, win. for sea urchins. They're, they're an invasive species killing the kelp. So I'm going to go dive and, and help the kelp forest grow. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why I love having Nisha around because you absolutely never know what she is doing next. Uh, <laughs> and on, on that kelp saving note, we're gonna bounce. Uh, we are back, of course, Monday morning uh, after a long weekend's rest. Thanks for coming to Disrupt. We'll see you then. Bye.